Today's episode is brought to you by Flowsmith. Flowsmith is a hassle-free ordering system that empowers sales reps and customers through a streamlined QuickBooks portal. Designed for the crafts industry, the portal allows you to improve your company's performance while reducing costs. Flowsmith has created a new and intuitive way for your customers and representatives to place orders, check inventory online, and more. Go to flowsmith.us today to get more information about finding an easier way to manage your wholesale orders. Thank you so much, Flowsmith. And now, here's the show. Welcome to episode 178 of the Craft Industry Alliance podcast. I'm Abby Glassenberg. Craft Industry Alliance is a community for craft professionals where you can strengthen your creative business, stay up to date on industry news, and build connections within our supportive trade association. Check it out at craftindustryalliance.org. Today on the show, we're talking about building a multifaceted craft business with my guest, Kathy Cano-Murillo. Kathy is an author, artist, and founder of the award-winning brand, Crafty Chica. She spreads the gospel of glitter, literally, through her DIY projects and figuratively through her speeches, workshops, books, and essays. A former syndicated columnist for the Arizona Republic, she's now a full-time creativepreneur, which has led to multiple Crafty Chica mass retail product lines and collaborations with Coca-Cola, HSN, HP, WordPress, Disney, and many others. She's authored seven craft books, two novels, and recently, Forever Frida, a celebration of the life, art, loves, words, and style of Frida Kahlo. She's been featured in the New York Times, USA Today, Huffington Post, BuzzFeed, and more. Kathy is a Mexican-American, a native of Phoenix, Arizona, mom of two, a wife and mother, and owner of three chihuahuas. Kathy Conamaria, welcome. Hi, thank you for having me. Excited to be here. I know, it's so exciting to talk with you. I've admired your work for so many years, and you have been in the craft industry for so many years. Um, I, I have to think, maybe you were one of like the original craft bloggers. Do you think that might be true? <laughs> yes. yes, I actually started my blog in 2001, and I just have always loved to make things. And as soon as I realized that I could make a living and a career doing what I love, I was like, sign me up. (laughs) Yeah, it's so neat. Um, There's just not that many people who 
started, you know, online um, mm-hmm. with crafting way back then who are still here. And so I love it when I am able to connect with people who are in that very, very small group. So that's amazing. Yeah. And it's great talking with you. Um, so um, I know you were born and raised in Phoenix, where you still live. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm wondering when you were a kid, were you I have to think you were pretty creative. Is that true? Yeah, I think that. It's a whole personality thing of being a middle child, a Sagittarian, being left-handed. I think all of that just kind of like bundled up and made my personality more glittery. (laughs) And so I just always have been creative, whether if it's storytelling or doodling or coming up with some kind of crafty idea. It's just I was born with it. And it runs in my family, too. Were your parents creative or what did they do for work when you were growing up? Yeah, well, my dad, he was very creative. So he was very creative all during his younger years. And then um, when he settled down to raise the family and married my mom, he became a civil engineer for the city of Phoenix. And he didn't do as much create as many creative things as he did when he was younger, but he still, you know, managed to work things in. He was more into fixing things after he got married. But when he was younger, he worked with resin, uh, pressed flowers, clay, woodworking, anything he wanted. He would just figure out a way to make it. And I think that innovation transferred over to me when it comes to designing and coming up with ideas. And what did your mom do? Uh, My mom, while I was growing up, she was a homemaker. So she was just mostly at home. And um, after I had moved out, then she became an accountant. Okay. All right. And so, and you were a middle child and I know Uh that you enjoyed writing. You had a great fifth grade teacher. It sounds like who um, inspired you to, (laughs) Mm -hmm. to write stories and read them out loud to the class. Yes. (laughs) Yes. She really, I mean, I think as teachers, they don't realize the impact that they have on their students. And at that time I was just this chubby little Brown girl in a school that where I did not fit in and I was so shy and I didn't have a lot of confidence, but she noticed when I would turn in my stories, my language art stories, I would get really excited. I would really get into them. So one day she had me read my story out loud to the entire fifth grade class, not just my homeroom, but all of the homerooms. And I remember being terrified, but I remember seeing everybody engaged and like they all clapped and they loved it. And then I got compliments all day and and I was like, that's what my secret power is, (laughs) like sharing creativity and telling a story. So, yeah, just always stuck with me that that was something that I loved. I loved that feeling. So I was like, okay, what else can I do to keep that going? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so when you went off to, well, when you finished high school, what did you go off to do after that? Well, after high school, I had been um, yearbook newspaper in high school. I knew I wanted to do some kind of writing or journalism I went to a community college, got my two-year degree, but I started working at the traffic court. And 
I loved it because I went to Europe just like as a, you know, to end out high school and I loved it and wanted to go back. And I ended up getting a job as a bailiff's assistant at the city of Phoenix traffic court, which in the eighties, like this was like 1984, probably 85. I mean, that was like the pinnacle job you could have as, you know, as a young person, because it was like a full-time salary and benefits and just all of that. So I worked there full time, got into a lot of fashion and travel and all of that. But that's also where I met my husband. And then we ended up both leaving, working at the the traffic court and we went on to get married and he was a creative. So we just started creating art together and selling it. He was also a musician. So I was the manager of his band and I would set up and sell my handmade items while the band was playing at different concerts. And sometimes I made more money at my craft table than the whole band made at their gig. (laughs) So after we got married, we're like, let's just do this full time. And there was a lot of trial and error to figure out how to lead a life where you're doing only handmade and music type of things. Yeah, I bet. And so it sounds like the two of you kind of put your heads together and started making Latino-centric products together that were handmade. And you got a whole lot of wholesale accounts. Did you connect with like a rep or something? Well, it happened by accident because what we needed to do was make money to pay our electric bill. So we had $20. We took the $20 to the craft store, bought a blank canvas a pad of watercolor paper and craft paints. And we made watercolor paper earrings. So we cut out different shapes and painted them, put the earring hooks on them, and then put like, um, I think, 12 sets on a um, on the canvas, the 16 by 20 canvas. And then we walked from boutique to boutique to sell one board of earrings. And one board of earrings was $100 wholesale. And then the retailer would have 12 pairs of earrings. They had the display, loved it. And one of the stores we went into happened to be a national sales rep. And she had a partner in New York. And she said, hey, send me some samples and we'll take them to the gift show. So we didn't know even what a trade show or gift (laughs) show was. So we just made a bunch of stuff. We didn't have a lot of money at the time, so we went to the clearance shelves. And so then within like a month, we had 300 orders, like of all, you know, 12 of this and two dozen of that. And because we used clearance items, there was no way we could get multiples of them. So and back then there was no Internet. This was in the very early 90s. So it was a headache for two years. We did that. And there was no PayPal. We had to wait on checks. And a lot of times people's checks bounced. And it was just a nightmare. And our our breaking point was um, we had a perfume company order 10,000 hand-painted flower pots. And we were like, okay, this is a sign from God. Like, no. At first I thought, let's do it. But then my husband's like, this is not art anymore. This is like a sweatshop in our living room. (laughs) So that's when I was like, we need a break. And I thought if we ever return to this, we will definitely do it in a different way. And that's when I went to work at the newspaper. 
And, um, you know, I just needed to get out of the house, do something that had nothing to do with crafts. And I got a job like tearing the newspapers in the basement. Well, I ended up working my way into the features newsroom as a clerk. And they knew that I made merchandise because they had bought it. So they asked me to write a craft column. And I started the craft column and then that got syndicated. And that's really where everything took off because I just was like, wow, instead of making a hundred things, I can teach people how to make things. And then I launched Crafty Chica as a way to show those tutorials. So when you got to the newspaper and I mean, you were just basically trying to get a day job, it sounds like just because of the burnout. um, Yes, a day job that I knew I loved. Right. Like I did not want to settle for something where I would be miserable. I wanted to love where I was at it. I had always wanted my dream job was always to be a features reporter at the Arizona Republic. (laughs) So when the art started going wonky, I thought, you know what, let me pursue this other thing that I had just to see. So I can say I tried. Right, right, exactly. And so, um, so that seemed like a good idea. And then it sounds like the people at the newspaper realized that you were crafty. They had bought some of your products, some of the reporters or some of the editors. Yeah, yeah. My editor, when I went in for my interview, she actually had one of my flower pots in her office that she had purchased at a local store. And I went in the interview and I'm like, I painted that. And she said, oh, my gosh. So, yeah, once I started working in the features newsroom as a clerk, I was just an entry level clerk. um, The reporters recognized me like, oh, we've seen your your art before or I bought, you know, a magnet from you at the Heard Museum one time. Like so they were familiar with what what I did. Right. You had like a little bit of a, a local reputation. I see. And yeah, so, yeah. Right. Okay. And so, um, and so you started writing this craft column. Was that something that you pitched or was that just something that they were like, no, we need to fill up space? Okay. Um, the home editor came to me and said it was because Martha was on PBS. Oh, yeah. And she had, you know, people were interested in DIY in the paper. They had this um, craft column that they used to run from the wire and that whoever that column, like it ended. And so they said, well, we want to have a DIY column in the Saturday paper. Would you want to do it? And at first I was like, I don't do crafts. I do art. Oh, (laughs) that's interesting. You really identified yourself as an artist and not as a crafter. Yes. And then my husband was like, you know what? This is a chance for you to design for a general market audience, to learn new techniques, learn new products. He goes, oh, my gosh, you totally need to do it and, you know, expand your skills. And I said, you know what? Let me try it. What have I got to lose? It wasn't, you know, I my dream was covering entertainment but I thought I could do like an arts and craft column. And I 
started doing it, but mine were very not like Martha at all. Because we, I like, she's a minimalist and I love like just layering everything on. So all of my projects were very meaningful, very much about self-care. And this was in, you know, the late 90s. So that whole concept of self-love and self-care, no one talked about that. But all of my craft projects were themed around that. And um, in a, within three months, they it, the column got picked up by Gannett News Service. And it started running in 130 newspapers around the country. And it was interesting because I realized the power of it. And then when... Um, you know, the internet really kicked in. It, it was when MySpace started and I started MySpace and that just took off. And I used all of my MySpace following to help build traffic on my craft column on the newspaper website. So I really learned the power of social media back then. Yeah. And and do you think that the reason that the column took off, it sounds like it was because you were connecting, crafting to kind of a vibe or an idea about how to live. It wasn't just like make this project because it's pretty or it's going to make your home yeah, look cool, it, but well, it was like an um, attitude or something. Yes, it, it was. I had my own criteria. Like I wanted every project to be functional. And so I tried my best to make them functional and then they all had us came with a little story of what inspired the project. And and then a lot of it was like, you know, do a random act of kindness, like make this and give it to a friend. Or if, you know, like there was a hurricane and I'm like, here's how to decorate tote bags so that you can fill them up and, you know, go give donate them. And so they all had that element to them of just a little bit deeper meaning. Yeah. To have purpose. Right. So it was right. It was connecting it to, yeah, sort of an overall life, like a, a lifestyle mm-hmm. almost, a way to, a way to yeah. be in the world, um, yeah. which is, I think, what you do so well, just in general. Um, and, and so just the connection with people. Um, oh, thank and you. yeah. And so that, that was even coming out in that early. That early experience. And so, mm-hmm. and also this, um, early adoption of social media, which is also was so fascinating. So I didn't realize you had this MySpace, um, following. And then, and then it sounds like you started the Crafty Chica in order to, um, kind of build a, a way to, to get readers who weren't necessarily able to get the paper or who wanted to be able to, right. to access yes. the content. And also like thinking back to when we were hand making all of that art and couldn't keep up with demand, I knew that there was a demand for Latino centric products. And I thought, well, I can use my website to show people how to make their own, you know, Milagro jewelry or a Loteria pillow for their bed. So I just started doing different tutorials. So it it served two purpose, two purposes of, you know, sharing my weekly craft column for the paper and then also sharing other tutorials that people could do. I see. And then just creating community also. I want to take a minute now to hear from our sponsor, Flowsmith. 
Flowsmith has a proven track record of success with small businesses across the United States. Their very first client was Malabrigo Yarn, a family-owned company that produces a line of soft and colorful hand-dyed yarns. They are passionate about a high-quality product because they know that each person who knits and sews does it for personal enrichment. In other words, they want their clients to trust that the brand is reliable and relatable. Before Flowsmith, Malabrigo had a variety of issues that many small companies face when they begin to expand. They were overwhelmed with operational activities, orders were being placed haphazardly, and inventory wasn't visible to customers or to sales representatives. When Flowsmith got involved, they immediately took several steps to address these issues. First, They built a personalized QuickBooks portal for Malabrigo. This quickly revamped internal operations by streamlining the process of managing orders, inventory, and product placement. The wholesale portal made order entry more efficient and user-friendly. And a new intuitive design helped the customers enjoy a more comfortable online shopping experience. Flowsmith also takes pride in its implementation process. With Malabrigo, installing the portal took only a couple of hours. The second phase, which consisted of setting up the details of the site and giving administrators access, was carried out by Malabrigo's team themselves. They learned how to use the system rapidly, and the portal was ready for customers to use within just a few days. According to the owner of Malabrigo Yarn, Antonio, the effects have been threefold. Enhanced communication, improved productivity, and increased sales. Flowsmith is comprised of a team of entrepreneurs, web designers, and savvy individuals with a singular focus, giving confidence to businesses by reducing operational headaches and increasing sales. They are proud to offer a product that specializes in usability, and design that gives companies in the crafts industry a leg up on the competition. Are you ready to get started? Go to flowsmith.us today for more information. Thank you so much, Flowsmith. And now, back to my conversation with Kathy. So it was a little bit more Latino centric, the the website from the beginning, uh-huh. um, yeah. more so than the craft column. And then, right, yeah. also it was a way to to build community around your personal brand. Yeah, right, yeah. right from the beginning. Okay, oh, that's so neat. Okay, great. Um, and so you you had this um, this role at the paper for for quite a long time um, as you were building um, Crafty Chica, and um, and then um, it sounds like you you went to um, to the Craft and Hobby Association, which is mm-hmm. now AFCI, um, and you went to their um, the trade associations uh, mm-hmm. uh, trade show, um, yeah. and and that kind of led to to some new opportunities, and this was maybe around 2007, 2008. Um, Was that kind of a a breakthrough moment when things shifted for you? definitely. It was um, 2006 was when I went to my first CHA show. Right. And I went on behalf of my book publisher. And 
I walked through the whole thing and I saw it and I did not see a single thing for the Hispanic market. Nothing. I think at one point I did see like a sombrero guy or maybe a piñata, but I was like, oh my gosh. And what I knew from my website was a lot of Hispanic women would craft either as a side hustle or as a hobby. And especially because, you know, with families and cousins and sisters and all of that. And I was like, wow, there is like no representation. (laughs) And um, so the next year I pitched to give a seminar. Actually, they invited me to be part of a panel discussion on the Hispanic market. And I will never forget because on the panel were some marketing women and they gave this whole presentation based on immigrant shoppers. And whereas my following was bilingual assimilated shoppers and crafters and college educated crafters who all happened to be Latinas. And so when my turn came to speak, I'm like, Okay, my story is different. And by the end of it, I had different manufacturers that came to me and said, hey, we want to do a product line. And um, one of them was my favorite glue company. And I'm like, I want to work with them. And they put a deal together for me. And I was able to leave the newspaper in April of 2007 which I never in a million years thought I would leave the newspaper. I thought I would retire there. But I had reached a point where I thought, wow, I already accomplished everything I wanted to accomplish at the paper because by the time I had left, like they sent me to night school to finish my bachelor's. I had a national syndicated column interviewing celebrities. And then I had a nationally syndicated column for my crafts. So I had two syndicated columns. I, I, it was like, what else? I did everything I wanted to do there. And I just knew there was something else that I was meant to do. But I always had that false narrative of like, you can't make a living from crafts. Like, no way. That is crazy. And we have two kids. And, but then I thought, you know what? Anything is possible. Like anything is possible. And I when I left the paper, it was the best decision I ever made to just take that chance to level up. And yeah, that was in 2007. And here it is 2020. And it's things are better than ever. That's amazing. Yeah, that's super inspiring. And, um, and I know that um, we so you went when you went to CHA, you were there on behalf of your book, publisher. And so we, we mm-hmm. must have skipped over the books. Um, so, <laughs> so let's just backtrack back briefly. So, um, so how had you written, what books had you written up until that point? Um, I hadn't written any books, you know, I was, you know, working at the newspaper, writing entertainment stories, and I had my blog going. And an editor reached out that they needed an author for a book idea that they had. And it was called Making Shadow Boxes and Shrines. So as soon as I had their ear for that, where I signed on to do that, I created a new book proposal for another book. And I turned that in. As soon as I saw they were happy with my work, I turned in the proposal for the other book. And 
that got accepted. And so that kind of started the ball rolling. And then I did a couple books for tweens. And then I did a sewing book and then um, a craft book for HarperCollins. So it was all just, they're all like general craft books, except for the sewing book. It was concentrated on sewing. So yeah, those started going. But also another dream that I'd had in high school was to write a novel. And after all of this worked with my craft career, I thought, okay, like I, I just had that moment where I'm like, what else can I do? Like what else is on my crazy dream list? And I'm like, write a novel. Okay, let's do this. <laughs> so that was a little tougher, but I, my first draft I started working on in 2004 and the first book came out in 2010. So it was a six year process from the time I started working on it to the time it came out on bookshelves. Wow. Yeah. And now I'm working on my third one. So I had two novels and then the Frida book and and now I'm working on the third novel. And the novels, um, they they have craft involved, like the characters are crafters. Yeah. So the my my strategy or my thoughts for the novel is that when people create and turn to crafting, there's always an emotional reason behind it. Either they need to de-stress or they want to put their mark on the world or maybe they're curious about something. And so the stories and the plots are driven by those emotions. And then the crafting is just like a, you know, a result of that. So they're really themed around the emotion that takes us to the point to where we want to craft. Got it. Okay. So a person who is crafty would certainly relate to that, I think. Yes. Yeah, for sure. Okay, great. And um, and are they the same publishers who do the craft books or are they different publishers? Um, no, they're – so those two novels, um, they were from um, Grand Central Publishing and they don't really – that I know of do craft books. They do mostly, you know, um, the, the, pub, the, the imprint I worked with, they did all fiction. Okay. So, yeah, and it was pretty cool because while I was there with my editor, I got to meet Nicholas Sparks because his books are on the same pub, the same imprint. So he got, he gave me some tips and things. So that was really, really cool. Oh, I'll cool. bet. Yeah, that's yeah. so cool. Right. And so, I mean, I feel like one of the things that you really espouse in your sort of career path is that you are very open to um, kind of reinvention or just embracing new things. Would you say that yes, that's true? Yes. And I never, I don't like to call it reinventing because I feel like it's saying like, oh, the past isn't good anymore. I need to start all over. I always think of it as evolving. Okay. And it, I feel like that's like a way to like still honor the past and, you know, what it has grown, allowed you to grow into. And yes, that has always been at the forefront of everything is trying something new, Le whether if it's a new skill or a new challenge, new music, um, a new type of TV show to watch. It's just embracing new. And the way I look at it is like, you know, this is our 
one and only life that we have and there's so much out there. So why not try something new rather than getting stuck in routine? And I love that because it's allowed me to meet so many new people and have so many new experiences. Yeah. And I wonder if you have any words of wisdom around like how to choose what to say yes to or what to choose next. Like, because sometimes there's lots of opportunities that might come our way. You need to manage opportunities. Yeah. And you can't say yes to everything, you know? Well, at the beginning, I did say yes to everything. At the beginning, um, I just looked at everything as an opportunity, which I think at the time was a really good idea because it helped to get me seen far and wide. But then once things really started happening, especially the money aspect where, um, you know, brand camp branded campaigns came up as opportunity, which I do a lot of that now, I really was like, okay, I need to give a hundred percent to this project and I really had to start managing my opportunities. So I would make sure that I have an end goal for the year, for the month, even for the day. And then the things that come through the opportunities, I just say, is does this take me closer to this goal or put it farther away? And if it takes it in the other direction, then I go through and match it up with someone who I think it would be a good pair with. And if it does move me closer, then I'm like, okay, yeah, let's do this. That's so nice. It, so it is, you try to refer the the person who's asking yes. to somebody else um, mm-hmm. who would be a good match. I love that idea. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You, you definitely have to come with an abundance mindset that there's enough for everyone. It's a big world out there. And when you think about the people we don't even know who are competing for stuff that we're doing, too, it's like there's no way to get a handle on it. So just relax and know yourself and be confident in yourself and and in your skills and the opportunities that come to you. And that relieves so much pressure, you know, and it, it makes it more fun to to do this as a career. Yeah, absolutely. So I love that idea. And I love the abundance mindset for sure. Um, And so let's talk a little bit about your licensing work. So I know Uh you started out with that first um, set of licensed products that that um, you were able to secure at that CHA um, show. Actually, the first the first thing we ever did was um, some kid accessories for Lowe's home improvement stores. Oh, but we didn't know what the heck we were doing. My <laughs> husband and I did. <laughs> so that was very short lived because they had such a fast turnaround. Um, so I kind of got my feet wet a little bit. And then when it came to um, working with Duncan Enterprises for the Michaels end cap, that was crazy because it was like all like a pinch me moment of like is this really happening but at the same time it's like we're on deadline hurry up (laughs) so it that was like really intimidating but really exciting it was and then I had my things at Michael's for eight years like each time was different and and it was just really fun It, it to you know 
I felt like after hand making pieces one by one for retail stores when we first started, coming back and designing for licensing was a nice way to, you know, to bookend that experience. Because I always said, if we ever do this again, we're not going to hand make it, we're going to design. And that's what happened. Yeah. So what are some of the things from that experience? And that was a long period, eight years, that Mm -hmm. I'm sure from the beginning of that toward the end of it, you learned a lot. So I'm wondering what are some of the the sort of lessons that you took away from that? (laughs) Yeah. Well, I think the, the biggest thing is to If you do get the opportunity to design for a big retailer, not to be overwhelmed. And I really, at the beginning, came from a place of walking on eggshells, like imposter syndrome. Like, you know, I just need to follow along with what they tell me because they know best and I'm new at this. And now I realize, no, I need to stand up for myself if something is not right, because the product manager who was on that original line, she was from, I think, Kansas. And she didn't understand Latino culture. And, you know, I would design these things. And I came in one day, and they were all changed to muted tones. Mm. And she said, Well, I have red hair. And these don't the colors you have don't really look good on me. We need to make sure that your line complements everybody. And then I felt so sick to my stomach, because I'm like, okay, she's supposed to know what's going on. But in my gut, I'm like, this is a line for Latinos and Latinas. Like we don't like muted colors, you know, not to speak on behalf of everybody, but going off of the crafty Chica style, it was bright colors. And I had to stand up for myself and say, you know what, if that's the color palette we're changing it to, then maybe I don't want to do this because that does not at all represent anything of what I'm about. And then the next day it was all changed back to my original colors. Uh-huh. <laughs> so you really have to know when to stand up for yourself. And sometimes you have to walk away, you know, and after the eight years and, you know, it's really um, it has to be a win for the retailer, for the manufacturer and the designer. And there were some points of working with the manufacturer, even though they had been wonderful and gave me this awesome opportunity. I did. The direction wasn't the direction that I wanted to go in. And I had to make that choice to step aside. And I ended up signing on with a paper arts company where I designed um, die cut designs and they were at a much higher price point. And that line ended up in another retailer. And I ended up making more money from that one in a shorter amount of time than I did at the first one. So and that never would have happened had I not had that confidence and faith in myself to walk away from something. So it's just knowing, you know, like really refine your style your design so that people can look at it and know that is your design, your product, like make sure it all fits together with who you are. 
and know that there's all different levels out there of licensing from big and small and pick out like what is your dream retailer where you would love to see your items and then work backwards from there. How do they hire designers? How do they do licensed lines? So you could follow in that path to get there. So it takes a lot of research. And are you doing a lot or were you earlier on doing a lot of pitching or were these opportunities really coming to you? Were they seeking you out or was they it a combo? They came to me. Okay. Most of the time they came to me and that's, I think, because of my blog. I keep it very current and it's the foundation of everything that I do. So I always can go back and put up new articles, new posts, new tutorials, put my latest press headlines there, my newest videos. And so people can always go back and look at that. And I was inspired like seeing JLo's website and Oprah's website and just all of these, you know, even like, you know, the E network and CNN, I looked at their websites. I'm like, okay, how can I do a Crafty Chica version of this? So it looks larger than life. So how important do you feel persistence or consistency has been to your success? Oh, it's the key to everything. It is the key to everything. And you know, I know this because when I was a features reporter and I would go to report, I would get pitches from either musicians or artists, designers to have a story written about them. That was one of the columns that I did locally was featuring artists. The first thing I would do is go to their website and that's what would sell me. And if it was boring or if it wasn't updated or if the bio was just like three sentences, I would go, eh, you know, and I would keep looking. But the people who had a website that popped, that told their story and was current, it got me excited. And I thought, I want to interview them. And so when I left the paper, I knew like, okay, I got to keep my website, you know, looking exciting because that's speaking for me. That could help, you know, hook a gig for me, even, you know, social media as well. You know, people, they want to go, even now when I work on collaborations or someone reaches out to me, I go through all of their platforms and look and see like, okay, how much effort do they put into this? Because if they put in a lot of effort, I know they're serious. And yes, I will, I will, I want to work with them. But if they're, if it's not updated or it's just looks kind of lazily put together, then I'm like, eh, I don't know. <laughs> Right. Okay. And then, right. So you having been on the other side of it really helped you, it sounds like. Yes. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Yes. Right. Mm -hmm. And then um, and let's talk a little bit about these partnerships that the brand partnerships where you are basically a content creator um, for some of these bigger companies. Um, mm -hmm. And, and so um, I'd love, you know, to talk for you to talk a little bit about that process for people who maybe want to get into doing that sort of work or who are just curious about how that works um so yeah. yeah talk a little bit about how you well, do that um well before when when I you know launched my site and my blog it, it, the, I only thought that it was 
craft companies that would pay you to do a craft project on your blog and represent their products. However, um, I started going to some conferences for blogging and I realized the value of having a lifestyle blog. And I already had a lot of lifestyle content on my because I would blog from the perspective of being a mom, you know, being a band wife, you know, <laughs> having the kids, right. just all of that in there, the entertainment side of me, I always would update on, you know, what the latest drama was. And um, so then I realized, wow, there's categories for beauty, fashion, health, electronics, recipes, um, cocktails, oh, travel. And and so, frankly, some of those have higher price points than craft because oh, there's definitely. limited, I mean, let's just be honest, there's limited dollars in craft. It's true. But this is the thing. If there's limited dollars from the craft manufacturers. However, working with um, a company like uh, Pepsi Cola, I did a, a year contract with them and it was all DIY projects. And it paid like phenomenal and you couldn't get that from a craft company. And it wasn't about the products we were using. It was about easy ideas for moms to make it home or for people to make it home. So there was a way to take what I did and, and every single campaign opportunity that came by, I would say, how can I crafty chica this? Like, how can I make it my own? And the funniest ones I think are like, I do a lot of food and recipes, but I, I'm not a professional food blogger, but I come from the angle of like, what is creative and easy? Like, what is the crafty chica take on this? And one time there was like, this um, cheese company and I showed how to make sugar skull empanadas and I used a sugar skull cutter and then it like went crazy, you know, like it did so well. And then some of the other food bloggers were darn you crafty chicken. Ah. They did like, you know, seven layer cheese fondue, this or that, you know. And And you did something so simple, (laughs) but it was so so brilliant. Yeah. Yes, it's just having fun with it, like um, glittered paletas, you know, the Mexican popsicles, I put edible glitter on them. So it's, I realized like, okay, how do I take what I do for my brand and translate this to make this product shine? And it has fit into everything from um, TurboTax, I work with every year, like helping independent artists know how to navigate, you know, filing their taxes to uh, I did one with Bank of America for first time home buyers. You know, how do you buy a house when you're a full time artist? So there's I found that it could apply to so many things. And then not to mention, you know, like Pierre One Imports or Hallmark Cards, like, it, it, you know, finding a way to add my twist to it. And that it's it's really fun when you look at it from that angle. And then there's some of them where I'm like, no, <laughs> that does not fit at all. And I get a lot of those where I'm like, no, if, if I always think back to when I'm getting ready to post it on Instagram and I feel like if I'm going to feel weird or hesitant sharing it, 
I don't want to share. I don't want to do this campaign. Yeah. I mean, I'm a sewing pattern designer and I don't take on any branded content. And yet I get pitched like um, to do panty liner campaigns and things like this all the time. And I'm like, I honestly, no. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Right. But then there was like one I did for always to help um, get – period products to students who couldn't afford them and you know girls who would actually stay home from school because they didn't have money to buy period products yeah and always had this wonderful campaign where you know you could go and drop off donations that would go to these girls and that I'm like oh yeah you know yeah so everything you just really have to look you have to look at it exactly is like spreading Um, positivity through creativity. And so everything that I get presented with, I'm like, does this spread positivity through creativity? How do I spread positivity through creativity with this? If it doesn't come naturally, then I know it's not for me. And I think, okay, who can I partner this with? Like, who would be really good for this? That's great. And, and Let's talk a little bit about your approach to social media because I know um, Instagram Reels launched and I was mm-hmm. over on the Crafty Crafty Chica um, Instagram page um, the other day and there you are like using it right away. So yes. um, I know like you, you know, I think there's a, there's a feeling that can happen when new things launch. And of course, new things are always launching because that's just the state of the internet, right? Things change mm-hmm. constantly. It's yeah. always shifting under our feet. There can just be this feeling of like, oh, I wish it would just stay the same. I, I finally figured out how to use stories or I finally figured out mm-hmm. how to, you know, the, the algorithm works or whatever. And I don't want it to change. And, um, and I wish it wouldn't or, you know, that just sort of a feeling of kind of like friction about it. Um, mm-hmm. or you can have the opposite approach of just like, let's go, let's try it, let's experiment. Um, yeah. and so talk a little bit about the way that you kind of look at it when these things change. So I've always loved social media because they are free platforms to share our content and ideas. So when a new platform comes up, I definitely take time to research it, follow along, secure my name, all of that. But sometimes you just know when something's going to hit. And I get excited. I'm like, okay, here's yet another way I can get my content out there. And I think the day that a business owner rolls their eyes at it is the day their business will be in trouble. Because by embracing new this is an opportunity for new people to see what you're doing and become your customers. It's a new, a new road for them to find you. And especially with um, all of these social media platforms, especially the big ones, when I trained it, I was at Instagram um, like three times I got to go out there. It was amazing. Like everything you would imagine. Oh my gosh. Yeah. (laughs) One of the, biggest takeaways that they told us is that anytime a platform releases a new feature, use it immediately. The early adopters get rewarded in the algorithm because they want you to use all of these features. So they are designed to work together. 
And the way that they described it to us was like when you go to a gym, instead of just doing the arm machine, use every single machine and you get a full body workout. So you're all evenly distributed, your muscles all evenly distributed. And so the same is with a social media platform, like with Instagram, you want to use a mixture of IGTV stories, lives in your feed, and then use the location tags, use the stickers. You know, now we have reels. So use reels. And I was talking to my daughter about this because my daughter works at BuzzFeed and they had just had a meeting with Instagram about Reels. And so she knew about it and she goes, oh, I'll probably play around with it this weekend. Okay, so she put up a video, a Reel, I think it was Saturday. It now has 4 million views. Wow. And it got featured. It's one of the featured Reels. Right. And she's like reels is where it's at right now like you know it's such a great way to boost your instagram platform by using it and incorporating it so of course they're always going to be working on glitches and things but whenever a new feature comes out dive into it and play with it and see how it works for you and yeah, it can be like, oh, another thing, you know, or it can be, wow, another thing. <laughs> right. So I, I love what I do for a living and any opportunity that I have to introduce what I do to new people who, you know, I'm all for it. Yeah, I think they call that the growth mindset. And I think that's fantastic. So that's very inspiring to hear in a great and I love that gym metaphor. So I'm going to keep that one yeah. in mind. That's that's really brilliant and a great way to think mm-hmm. about things. So yeah, definitely. Thank you for sharing that. And I know you also have um, some other ways you're, you're like kind of the queen of multiple income streams, which I also <laughs> think is like the the trick to making this work and potentially why since you did quit your day job, um, you've been able to make this work for so long um, on your own, but you you do um, well before the pandemic. You you lead uh-huh. a cruise um, and the Crafty Chica cruise, which sounds super awesome. And then you also um, have like a, a boutique and gallery as well. Yes, and and you know, like uh, it's a, a lot of it goes back to mindset. Like like when you said like having finding a way to make it work. Like I look at it as you know setting myself free to make as much money as I want to do the things that I want to do. Like I'm giving myself the opportunity to thrive. And instead of like saying, Oh, okay, I'm going to figure this out to make it work. I train myself to say, I'm going to, you know, make it so I'm thriving. And I feel like that helps so much. I think just constantly waking up with the attitude of like, yes, let's do this today. We're going to thrive today. It's beyond making it work. It's, it's like, it's really a mind shift because I, my husband and I, we always were like in struggle mode where everything was, how do you squeeze a dollar out of a dime? And that's what we were doing. We were squeezing dollars out of dimes. And then I went to this finance conference with a friend of mine And it was all millionaire women who were, and I went as a guest, so I didn't have to be a millionaire, but I got to sit there and listen to them. Their mindset was, how do I turn $1 into $100? And that blew my mind. 
because I'm like, wow, what a way to look at it. Like I've been looking at it wrong this whole time. I've been looking at it from a struggle mindset instead of from a prosperity mindset. And as soon as I changed that, that's what really turned the corner. But yeah, we, I did um, like craft cruises on Carnival I, for 10 years. And then because I wanted to do something new, I'm like, I don't like getting stuck in routine. So then I started doing um, ones in Mexico, like San Miguel de Allende in Mexico City. And that was amazing. Totally new experience. And and then when um, three years ago, I opened a boutique and gallery with a friend of mine in central Phoenix. It was so fun. Like we have pop up events and, you know, um, all different types of, of our art and workshops and everything. And then the pandemic hit and we we're like, ah, like, oh, gosh. I did not know what was going to happen because here I thought I had everything all figured out. And everything was rolling the way that I had planned and made it. And and so we decided, you know, to temporarily close our store because of for health reasons. And, and you know, until we figure things out. And then I didn't know what was going to happen with branded campaigns. And I had just hired a brand manager back in November. And she was very experienced with working with influencers and brands and things. And we started thinking, you know, everyone's going to be online because we can't go anywhere. And so I started um, Corazon Craft Nights on Instagram Live. I started doing more lives and the campaigns did not stop. That's like great. The, I still had campaigns. Um, my online store sales like went through the roof. Um, the it doing lives that got very popular. Doing the Corazon Craft Nights on Thursdays, um, we were featured by NPR on the show national show called The List. So it created more ways to evolve, and it it, it taught us how to. Um, come up with yet another road for people to find us. And I discovered TikTok. Yay! <laughs> well, on quarantine. And I loved TikTok because I feel like it's just an ongoing variety show of all these fun, everyone's like showing, show and tell. That's what it reminds me of. And I love that Instagram has reels now because, you know, who knows what will happen with TikTok, but at least on Instagram, we have it there too. Right. So, you know, it was, it's definitely been a time of discovery and then mask making. Oh my God. Like all of a sudden everyone is making masks and we're all sharing our mask war stories, <laughs> you know, I'm like, yeah. I couldn't keep up with demand. I like, know. I ended up buying some to wholesale or I, I bought some wholesale to sell because I just couldn't keep up with demand. And, and I, there was one point where I was telling my husband, I'm like, I feel like I've lost control of my life and what is going on. And I don't know what happened to, for, to, I go, I just don't feel focused. And he goes, it's the mask. Because <laughs> our whole world has been around Mass. Yes, and, and you're I'm not like, alone. Oh my God, you're right. <laughs> Mass took over the life of like every I creative know. person. Yeah, exactly. I know. And at first, he was like, 
don't make them. They're not any good, but oh, they're better than nothing. Right. We all went through that metamorphosis. Right. Right. Oh my gosh. (laughs) I know. It's so crazy. Yeah. Well, I'm glad to hear that, um, you know, you, of course, you, you were able to, to, um, to innovate and to sort of keep the ball rolling during this very, Mm -hmm. um, stressful time. And, but of course, it's no surprise. Um, and, and it sounds like too, you have, um, despite all of this, some new products coming out this fall. Mm-hmm. Yes. So um, I have a new product line coming out through Makers Movement. And it is so fun. It's a Latino centric um, paper line of scrapbook paper, dyes, stamps, embellishments. And then I have a second round because I also do ceramics and I work in the ceramics arts industry. I designed a line of bisque of blank bisque that can be painted and fired in the kiln or painted with acrylic paints and a line of silk screens that can be used on craft projects. Oh, that's so, so cool. Yeah. And, and then I have, um, you know, I, I have two new book projects that I'm working on and it's just making the most of everything of saying, what else can I do? Like, I'm going to be here for a while. Like, let's do this, some fun things. Yeah, that's awesome. And um, I want to make sure we get to your um, list because you've got a couple cool things to recommend. And mm-hmm. one of them is a book that it sounds like you listened to as an audio book while you were in your studio. And it's yes. called Mexican Gothic. Yeah, it, it's like a haunted house story. And it's set in the 1950s. It's really good. And I love writing I love reading and I love making things. And I have a Crafty Chica Facebook group. It's called Las Crafty Chicas. And we're doing a craft challenge inspired by Mexican Gothic because of, you know, Halloween coming up and just it's all like that haunted house theme. So it's really fun that we're we're tying in crafting to celebrate the book as well. Oh, that's great. So people can go and join and then, um, and then read this book too and, and jump in. That's super cool. Okay, cool. And, um, and then you also wanted to recommend an app. Um, it's called Jump Rope and, um, actually Jump Rope, they're a Craft Industry Alliance member. And so they've done some demos in our Facebook group, but tell us a little bit about how you're using it. Um, so Jump Rope is, it's like a tutorial app where you can share your tutorials. But what I love about it is that once you upload the info and put in the description and the steps, it will format for all the different platforms. So if you click on stories, it will format it for stories. If you click on feed, it will format it for your Instagram feed. If it's for Pinterest, there's three ways you can make pins off of it. It's just amazing because you can adapt it to fit so many different formats and it looks different. All of them look different. So that's what I'm really impressed about with that because I do a lot of YouTube videos and, you know, so this definitely saves time because now instead of doing a full on production YouTube video, I can take some of my 
older popular tutorials where I didn't have a video and turn those into a video. So there's just a lot of things to do with it. Yeah, exactly. And it um, it can also format it for your blog. It Like it just in one fell swoop. Yeah. It makes yeah, it exactly. so that, all, yeah, all your step outs are formatted perfectly in the right dimensions for all of these different social media apps. Yeah. Yeah. So super convenient. So check it out. Yeah, that's really mm-hmm. cool. And it's free. Um, so yeah. that's always nice. <laughs> so, well, Kathy, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the Craft Industry Alliance podcast. It was super good talking to you. Oh, thank you. And I think my biggest takeaways is to, for people just to nail down what their mission statement is with their brand and what they want to do, who they want to reach, and then create content that matches that. And also, Like, look at what gets the most engagement on what you've posted and then do more of that. Yes. Like, pay attention to what people are responding to and do more of that because that's what they want. And if you already posted, that means you already know about it. But yeah, I, I wish so much success to everybody. Yeah, thank you. This was really, really informative and full of words of wisdom. So thank you. Thank you. And you've been listening to the Craft Industry Alliance podcast. I'm Abby Glassenberg. Today's episode was brought to you by Flowsmith. Flowsmith knows that businesses want to spend more time on developing and selling their product and less on logistical nightmares. By using the wholesale portal developed by Flowsmith, you can count on powerful inventory management, flexible order placing, and a customer-friendly layout. Designed with the craft industry in mind, users of the portal consistently say that they don't know why they didn't make the switch sooner. So what are you waiting for? Go to flowsmith.us today and you can try it for 90 days absolutely free. Thank you so much, Flowsmith. Craft Industry Alliance is a community for craft professionals. And when you become a member of Craft Industry Alliance, you get in-depth coverage of craft industry news, the opportunity to connect with fellow professionals for advice and support, and access to an educational library filled with ideas, tools, and resources to help you as you build your business. Join us at craftindustryalliance.org. Thank you so much, and I'll see you next time.